Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy Show from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. I'm Pippa Shorley, part of the team here at the Foundation. And over the next few episodes, we're looking at the role of creatives in building a circular economy. In today's episode, the Foundation's Circular Design Programme lead, Joe Isles, leads a conversation with two stalwarts of the creative industries. Farah Ramzan Golan, president of Q, a collective of creative organisations including IDEO, Sid Lee and Kepler, and Chris Riley, founder of Studio Riley, who previously worked as head of strategic planning at Apple through some of its biggest launches. Farah and Chris spoke to Joe at the Foundation's Summit 2020. Let's hear what they had to say about the changing culture of business, the role of brands in connecting people, and confronting the idea that consumers aren't ready for a circular economy. During times of great disruption and change, whether it's the shift from a linear to a circular economy or the recovery from a global pandemic, there's a lot that's said about scientists, economists, CEOs, engineers, policymakers, but perhaps a bit less said about branding, advertising, marketing and the other creative industries. Taking it a step further, those sectors have often been seen as the bad guys, fueling consumerism at all costs. But is it time for a new story? How can the creative sectors direct us towards different positive outcomes? And to discuss this today, I'm joined by two people with years of experience at the highest level of the creative industries. Farah Goland is the CEO of Q EMEA. Q is a collective of creative companies, including IDEO and a host of other data, media and brand organizations. Previously, Farah was the CEO at the Nike Foundation's Girl Effect, all three media and AMV BBDO. And she's advised businesses and governments on creativity. Farah is joined by Chris Riley. He's the founder of Studio Riley, a global insights and strategic planning practice based in Portland, Oregon. Chris specializes in cross-cultural communication blending business information and cultural perspectives to illuminate the human condition and working with creative professionals, photographers, writers and designers to create meaningful and effective narratives. In the past, Chris was strategic planning director of the ad agency, Whedon & Kennedy, and was also Apple's Marcom group where he helped launch a couple of products you may have heard of, the iPad and the iPhone to name it, but two. Thank you both for joining us here at the summit today, Farah and Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Pleased to be here. Well, we're delighted to have you. And I wonder if you could help us in this conversation, maybe set the scene. So what is the current status of the creative industries when it comes to issues like the circular economy um, or other social, environmental, economic challenges that we face today? Is it fair to say that the scientists and the engineers and the business leaders lead the way and, and the creative industries react and respond? Or is that, is not, is that not a fair picture? And Farah, maybe you could kick us off there. Thanks, Joe. Um, well, it's a really big question. And I guess what has, uh, comes to my mind, if you just bear with me for a second, is before we think about the way it is currently, I think we can draw inspiration to answer your question on how throughout history there have been patterns where creative movements and creative people have emerged and come to the fore, 
not instead of the scientists and the engineers, but have come to bring illumination. So if you think, I don't know, the dark ages of Europe and then the House of Medici fuels the Renaissance or you have the Industrial Revolution and then the rise of arts and crafts or um, think about accelerating division uh, inequality, social inequality, and the rise of Bauhaus, bringing people under one roof, or the rise of punk to redefine artistry. And I guess I'm saying this, including technology, actually, if you think about technology infiltrating every aspect of life and humanity, and then the rise of design thinking, which actually asserts the power of people and potential of people. So I guess I, I, I say there's a pattern because there's no right or wrong answer. Is it right to think of creative people contributing uh, negatively or positively to the story? It's just to say there have always been patterns and creative movements have always surfaced. And in my view, and, and Chris, my good friend, who uh, he and I share long rambling conversations on the subject, in my view, it is that the creative industries have an enormous amount to contribute, but they have to be liberated, harnessed, challenged, activated to come into an environment to say, we need a new story, we need new inspiration, and we need new mobilization. So it doesn't exactly answer your question, but I think we do have to look at the patterns and say, well, we can have that pattern recur again. And, and Chris, coming to you and, and maybe playing off that, Farah suggested that the creative industries maybe are, are waiting to be unlocked on some of the, or reach their potential on some of the issues of today. Is that, is, is that something that you see in your work, Chris? Um, yeah. Basically, I think that um, the current status of the subject of the, either the circular economy or sustainability or social justice, the status of that is it's in, it, in everybody's minds and in most people's hearts. So when you talk about the creative industries, it is a large group of people and um, they're pretty much engaged in the way you expect them to be engaged. Over the last, um, say, 10 or 20 years, it's gone from the margins and the fringe to the mainstream. So it's not uncommon to be sitting in pretty interesting conversations at, uh, with clients um, about these issues. So I think as people, everybody's pretty engaged. I don't think there's a, a negativity there. Uh, did they fuel the problem? Probably. <laughs> but that was other people. Uh, the issue is, is that the status of the subject with, with client organizations is confused. So what, what a good creative professional needs is a good client. We can't all run around doing you know, not-for-profit stuff, although most people seem to. Uh, the, you really need what is known as a brief. You need to know exactly what your client needs to uh, achieve. And increasingly, that brief does include uh, these kind of issues, not for every client, not in every industry, uh, but for quite a lot of clients. And you begin to see it in the apparel industry that there is messaging and there is, you know, conversations being held about uh, the the kind of the, the the fast fashion problem and those kind of things. So you're seeing it in companies like Nike, and you're seeing it less so, unsurprisingly, um, in in more industrial companies where they can't perhaps kind of address the same things. So the status, I think, is that the, the, the people are, are, are pretty willing, but the subject is a little confused because 
as you engage with the subject, it's overwhelmingly presented uh, through the lens of science and so forth. And that's not, uh, that's not easy for everybody to understand. And it's not easy uh, for people to interpret it and integrate it into a business, which then comes through to the creative professional individual um, who can then make it desirable, attractive, or, or whatever. And that, so you're saying that the, there's willing, these topics are, uh, are discussed, there's no longer really an excuse for uh, ignorance on some of these issues, whether it's climate change or, 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 or um, yeah. pollution and, and so on. So uh, on top of that, the client agency model is, is, is well established. So Farah, what do you think is stopping brands, um, uh, the, the, the leaders in the world of, of business or, or government from tapping into those existing pools of talent uh, in order to communicate the opportunity or the urgency around something like the circular economy? Uh, so I think, you know, um, we have to, <clears throat> I think, acknowledge that there are different clusters of companies and groupings. They're not all um, waiting to activate. And in a way, if you think about we're, we're a creative group and we think about the kind of clients we work with, you can start to see sort of three groupings and then you can see what those brands are doing. So if you think about the most advanced in this area, who you would call, for instance, I don't know, the, um, the, the absolute world makers, the change makers, the leaders, the enlightened organizations, the companies who want their brands to create a radically better world. And you put that in a little cluster. And then you say the next cluster are not the radical change makers, but the ones who are transformationalists, who can see an opportunity, who can see the time is right, who can tap into an ecosystem of creativity. And they want to create change, but they want to just transform from where they are. And then there are the sort of next movers, the ones who cautiously want to see what other people are doing, learn from the example and the successes of others, and sort of dip their toe in the water. So I think they're not all stopping and waiting. I think there are the sort of radical adopters, the sort of next generation, and then there are obviously the cautious and the laggards who just don't want to make change. And I think what, what maybe uh, would activate a bigger engagement with the creative industries and with their agencies and how they could get their brands more effectively integrated is if the model for contracting agencies widens so that it's not, oh, your advertising agency gets your advertising brief and then your PR agency gets the PR. And it's something that Chris and I have talked about for a long time is to recognize creativity in its widest, most diverse, most impactful frame that's combining architects with design and innovation thinkers with behavioral economics combining it with pr with media so i think as soon as brands understand how to contract groups of creatives together they unlock a different kind of solution so the the brands who are kind of coming to an engagement and saying this is a plural perspective we need the architects alongside the behavioral economics alongside the graphic designers alongside the innovation uh, thinkers. And the brands who do that get disproportionate and quick return. And I am a very optimistic person. I am kind of wired to hope uh, for the best. I think as we see signs of those brands making inroads, others will follow. It feels slow and uh, the business model needs to be reinvented. Clients need to find a way to procure 
creative people for the right solutions rather than to procure them as they did 50 years ago to deliver an ad campaign. But I see definitely from a Q perspective, signs of change, signs of saying we need plurality in the creative community that we contract and we need inbuilt collaboration. We need you guys to collaborate together. Uh, and I think the brands that can't are the ones that are stuck in old systems of money, the old way to buy creativity. Um, but and, all of that is changing. And yeah. just to pick up on that, and maybe for the for the folks watching who are um, ha who have some sense of agency within large organisations, uh, and are maybe inspired by that sense, and it's we've been talking about it for a long time, not just the foundation, but. But I think it's more widely accepted that having diverse perspectives, uh, cross-disciplinary um, collaboration being absolutely key, having all the right people around the table is, uh, is essential. But Farah, just to build on that point, what would you say to um, people within large businesses who maybe can uh, are responsible for some investment in innovation, how could they practically do that? Because it's something we've been talking about for a long time. Yeah, I mean, in, from a practical perspective, I have a kind of uh, deeply, passionately held belief. You have to just do one thing, which is find people you can work with and believe in. So find the people that you trust. And from there, the development of a strategy, the development of the model, the is to find people who get you. So if you're in a company and you think, I don't know, I'm 3M or I'm Nike or I'm Uniqlo, find people in the creative industry, it doesn't kind of matter where you go, who, with whom you can develop one thing, a relationship of trust and reciprocity. And from that, everything flows. So it's not like you need to know the skills and you need to know the models. You just need to find people you can talk to who get you and who you get. I mean, I used to say, and it's absurdly reductionist, but when I, people used to say, how can we get the right resource? How can we get the right creators? I would say, at its most <laughs> absurdly reductionist, what creative people do is they come into a dark room and they turn the light on. That's it. They just come into a darkened room and they turn the light on and then you kind of go, okay, what have we got here? So find people who can turn the light on for you and then work with them to work out the rest. Chris, coming back to something Farah said a moment ago, which was around positioning some clusters, people who are uh, the early adopters or, or in front and the people who follow and then the, the laggards. That analogy is of a, of a journey, um, but do you get a sense that the creative industries understand the direction or have a, have a sense of the direction that we, sh we should be going in? You've said to me before that and it's, a, 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 I guess, mad men springs to mind or any of those other cliches around the creative industries fueling desire, but, but desire for what? Right. <clears throat> well, that's the big question, right? I mean, basically, the creative professional industry, as you're describing it, is about that. It's about creating desire. And the, the, the industry does it in a whole bunch of interesting ways, but typically they take things that are complicated, confusing, and overwhelming, and they turn them into things which are, you know, simple, understandable, and inspirational. And I was, as I was sitting here preparing my thoughts for you today, I suddenly realized that um, the car 
it's a great example. It's a very complicated machine. If I actually described it to you, uh, you'd probably just run away. You only, you know, specialist mechanics can go underneath the hood. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a very complicated and potentially confusing and overwhelming thing. But what we've done over the years, we've just turned it into these simple objects of desire. And these things are shorthanded now. So we can actually show you a beautiful fo photograph. We can tell you a great story. We can put James Bond in an Aston Martin. We can do all sorts of things. So I think that fundamental of taking something complicated and reducing it, uh, on, or rather concentrating it, because there's a difference between simplification through reduction and simplification through concentration of meaning. Uh, that, that kind of role that the industry plays is super important. Now, my observation is that, um, you know, I've been doing this for quite a long time, and I remember when uh, all things green were, was a relatively fringe thing, and most people in um, the ad agency world, for example, were not really that interested. Well, that is not the case today. Um, and a new generation of uh, people have come into the industry, and this is kind of their number one concern. So there has been a, a sea change in that. The other, the other sea change is that uh, it used to be we used um, creative talent, if you like, to go and convince somebody you didn't know to buy something they may not want. And um, that's kind of the history. But what's happened, particularly in larger organizations today, is the leadership of those larger organizations now have uh, quite complicated uh, communities that they have to address. And they're using the skills of creative professionals to inspire their own people. And by inspiring their own people, uh, they can move a whole company in a certain direction. Apple is very good at that. Nike is very good at that. I'm sure there are many others. Starbucks is very good at that. Um, and so the skill of taking something which is difficult to explain or is complicated and making it so that people are inspired to act is fundamental to uh, success in our industry. Uh, and I think when you say, well, what do we create desire for? I think there's a big role for enabling bigger businesses, for example, to be able to create desire for strategies that are meaningful in the world around subjects such as the circular economy. That shift is, is, is now happening. You can actually see large you know, company-wide meetings at major corporations where the CEO has to kind of communicate or the leadership has to communicate really effectively to a large group of people. And there was some great work done by MIT, uh, the media lab there. And, and they made this observation that increasingly the strategy of business is about the culture created within the organization. So culture is not about facts and figures and arguments and lectures. Culture is about meaning. It's about identity. So companies like Patagonia, obviously the best example right now, create a culture within which the objectives that you're interested in in, in your forum are right at the very center. Um, I've just been watching Nike reorganize. Nike's just done a big reorganization. It's been in all the, all the business press. And they've reorganized around sustainability and social justice and digital commerce. So I, I, I really, I'm like, Bar, maybe our industry is perversely positive, you know, all the time. I'm an incredible person when it comes to like what you know terrible things can happen, and I always try and find the positive kind of story because the positive story is the story that's going to move people. 
there's only a certain amount of fear people can put up with. So the world's coming to an end, not a good way to kind of motivate an awful lot of people. A positive story of how they can be involved in a community that is meaningful in that context and do things um, uh, is, is, is pretty powerful. So those are the kind of shifts that I see. And, mm. and I think this one where the people who work for a business need to be inspired in the same way as we've inspired uh, consumers over the years is, is a critical part of it. Could I just um, build on that, actually, um, just two things that jump to mind as I hear Chris speak is this question about building desire and desire for what? I would want to go a little bit further and say more than just desire, which undoubtedly is, is a role, it's actually um, connecting people to a belief system. I mean, if mm. you, the brands that I mean, the brands that Chris mentions, Patagonia has a belief system which is really understood, unified, and very compelling. So I think it's a very madman way of thinking about building desire because desire suggests gratification and it suggests a linear. There are the producers, there are the consumers. You build desire, you satisfy desire. I do feel there is a much more sophisticated connecting people to a belief system, a belief system they hold dear, a brand holds dear, and therefore saying, we are a community together. We, Patagonia, we, North Face, we, whoever we are. So there is, it's building desire, not just for a thing, but to belong. It's yes. desire to belong, desire yeah. to be part of a belief system that reflects you authentically. And it's a desire to act according to your belief principles. So, so I just wanted to clarify that desire thing so it doesn't just feel like a desire to belong now, desire to be a part of something way more important than the desire for instant gratification. And the second thing that Chris has said about inspiring um, employees is so important because I think in creativity, people think about consumers and undoubtedly the consumers of a brand, the consumers of a product. But now stakeholder management, the power of creative ideas, not only to inspire employees to stand up and be advocates and passionistas for the product, but um, shareholders, commentators, um, activists, there are whole sets of stakeholders now who um, you can see through the data are dramatically affected by clear, compelling, creative communications. So communications are no longer just the purview for consumers, they're for employees and for a wide set of uh, stakeholders. And I mean, you know, we, we, we used to joke that, we, you know, what kind of communications would affect a um, hard bitten uh, analyst, an analyst who commentates on someone's stock price, you know, you think they're facts and figures. And of course, if you strip away the role of an analyst is to be hard-assed about a stock price, and you actually think about them as a human being, also consuming, also curating, also wanting to belong. They're no longer an analyst or a finance director or a retail. They're actually a human being also seeking to feel and belong. So communications at their widest can have a very unifying and powerful effect on a wide group of stakeholders, not just consumers. Well, well let's, let's pick up on the consumer there's so many things I could have delved into here, but let's pick up on the consumer piece for just a moment. There will probably be some brands watching and it's a, a response over the years, 10 years working on circular economy that, that we've heard a, f a few times, more than a few times, is the customer's not really ready for it yet. And one argument could be, well, is that how innovation 
has happened in the past? Is that how we've got to the point where we are now, that the, the customer was always ready and asking for a particular um, new product or service before the before the, the, the innovation team in the business got on and, and did it. Is, that doesn't sound quite right. I mean, my, my, it's a long time ago since I studied history, but that doesn't seem how it worked post-war. So what, what, what's, the, what's the real story there, Chris? <laughs> I'm so happy you asked me. You know, you know, nobody wanted a car, right? Nobody wanted a telephone. Nobody wanted to get, get up in an aluminum tube and be thrown across the Atlantic. Nobody wanted an iPhone. Nobody wanted an iPod. Nobody wanted to shift from brown and black shoes to sneakers. None of these things uh, existed until uh, a desire for them was created. That's what creativity is. So I, I don't know who's telling you this. I think it's nonsense. Uh, I think that um, you, you, you have out there, uh, particularly now, you have a massive um, community of uh, human beings, all of, all of whom are now fully cognizant about the interconnectivity. I have been in a village in Bangladesh and listened to mothers talk about polluters in America causing the sea level to rise in their village. Now, if, the, if these incredible women in Bangladesh get the interconnectivity, then the rest of us do as well, right? So, so I don't. I completely push back on that thing. I don't know who's been telling you that. You've been talking to the wrong people. <laughs> it, the customer is always ready for something that improves their lives. If you if you if you look at um, who's that famous American management consultant, Peter Drucker. I love Peter Drucker. He would say just basic things. He said every business exists to improve somebody's life. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in business. So I think the customer is ready to use your your language doesn't necessarily know what they're ready for, but has a feeling about it. And the beauty and brilliance of uh, creative businesses, whether it be a, a bread company, a car company, or Q, or any of these great people, the beauty of it is they actually can make it into something that people want. And that can, is what changes the world. Uh, and I think watching Apple go from a company that made computers that could hardly work to the trillion, $2 trillion company today that has transformed the way we interact socially, that has transformed our politics, that has transformed the world that you operate in, that, that came from a vision of, of a way of thinking and communicating in the world that nobody was asking for. Mm. But the, the vision understood the benefit and when it's packaged up in a way that makes people excited and and want to have that experience um it kind of takes off so um so i would just push back on those people and if you want you know like tell them to call me <laughs> <laughs> and um, apart, because... from, apart from calling you which they definitely should one by one Chris is going to change that. That would drive me crazy. <laughs> the, the, the readiness point, completely yeah. well made. I ask myself, and I, I say this carefully, I ask myself this readiness, which is undoubtedly there, readiness for something that will improve your life. I wonder if this year of 2020, you, you know, the foundation's 10th anniversary and therefore a moment for itself to think about its own readiness for its next chapter, but also the year we've lived through and, and understanding the challenges we face to the public health, 
to economic to the uh, to the economics of the world to geopolitical i mean this has been that year where i mean if you'd wanted to if someone had said we are going to do a mass globally synchronized pause the whole world is going to pause in a synchronized everyone would have died laughing and the truth is we have paused and i wonder if in the challenges we faced this year with covid-19 and all of the geopolitical black lives matter etc i wonder if now our readiness is accelerated and actually we want yeah, yeah. You know, from all from all the kind of hurting and the pain and the challenge and the the shocking mind numbing um badness of what we've lived through actually whether our we've accelerated our readiness to improve the world and whether this is a moment of inflection we're in a careful thoughtful but confident way we now need to elevate the story and say actually we're ready not just to go back and build back better but build back a world we didn't actually have a mandate to build before and i and i can i just interject that i am hearing literally that from clients and my community mm. saying the thing that's happened to us now is ideas we thought were going to be important in 5 years time are important now right. and so you're seeing literal acceleration you're seeing sustainability groups be merged into the mainstream of the business you're seeing new leadership strategies you're seeing governments around the world integrate uh, the concept of uh, environmental responsibility into the economic plans and that's because going back to bara's analyst the analysts have a very simple point of view which is unless we fix this problem we're in big trouble and so this has gone from being only a, a kind of personal or moral or ethical or whatever crusade to being a practical economic crusade if you can achieve the goals that you set forth in the work that you do at the foundation if those are achieved your business will last if you don't achieve that they will not i don't think that is a controversial point of view in business today whereas 10 years ago i would say that was a fringe idea i i'm getting a real sense as we as we approach the end of the session that from you there's a real energy and sense of opportunity that is um it's been building in recent years but has as you say to use your word chris has been accelerated in in 2020 and our conversation has has been quite wide ranging from more philosophical or existential questions to uh, some of the more practical questions or pragmatic points around where businesses go for creativity and 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 who the relationship with the customer and so on so what would be your message in terms of what superpowers or skills the creative industry can bring at this moment farah do you want to kick us off oh let me think so at the meta level at the most kind of delusionary happy possible level i think creative industries bring the notion of impossible as solvable it's an impossible complex intractable big issue and and what the creative industries will bring first and foremost is a mindset which is impossible as solvable everything was impossible once i mean it was uh, pretty much everything was impossible until it got solved so the creative industries will bring a mindset they will bring illumination and experience of two things 
profound forms of rapid collaboration and an ability to output stuff. But they don't just dream about stuff, they make stuff, they create stuff, they create outputs, they measure outputs. So it's a mindset, it's an illumination and ability to create outputs, not just um, endlessly agonize and measure those outputs. And I think what the creative industries can offer is constant restless development. You know, they are particularly suited to the notion of constant iteration and a restless development, which is it's never over, it's never enough. Learning from trial and error, that is in the DNA of the creative industries. So I would say a mindset of solvable, an output-based, let's make things, test them, try them, and then an, a, a, a sense of restless development. I love that restlessness point because we're we're so we've come a long way in ten years on in terms of the, mobilizing the idea of a circular economy, but it it truly is just the start of the beginning, and there's there's so much more that needs to happen from now, um, and and we need some of that restlessness for sure. What about you, Chris? Well, I think that um, all all of the above, but I think that the the, the the people who are watching this need to understand something very important. This subject has moved from being fringe to being mainstream. This is an enormous shift in the challenge you face to communicate. When you're in the fringe, tight group of interested people, super engaged in all the detail, scientists, business leaders, all those kind of good folks, all those charts, all that information, all that support, all that great science. Very, very important. In the mainstream, people need to, people want to be moved emotionally. They want to be inspired. The narrative form is different. It's a different, like if you take a scientist like uh, Feynman or in America, you know, like Carl Sagan, or I remember Patrick Moore in the UK. <laughs> these, these, these were not just scientists. These, these are people who tell amazing stories and can capture you in your soul and in your heart. And so when you go into the mainstream, that's the job. And you have to change the way you think because you're used to talking to people who are engaged in your rational thinking. It's what David White, the poet, calls the strategic mind. So that's a great group of people. You still have to do that. Still, there are still car mechanics who need to understand cars. But... In the mainstream, we have to simplify and we have to inspire because otherwise people will not come forward. They won't do all those things Farah was talking about. There won't be community. There won't be belief. There won't be cohesion. There won't be identity. So we can do that. But it demands of the people who are doing the hard work, the hard science, everything that you're brilliant at, it demands that they hand over some of that trust to people who know how to make you cry know how to make you laugh, know how to take you on a journey. And uh, the journey is emotional. And I think that's a really big shift that you, you, you talked to me also about the transition you sense that the subject and this organization could go through. And I think that's the big one. The journey is emotional. A great reminder there from Chris Riley about why we need to go beyond the science, economics and policy of societal change and think about the cultural elements. We also heard Farah Ramzan Golan highlighting that the creative industries take impossible ideas and make them possible. What a good challenge to take back into our workplaces. This conversation was part of Summit 2020. 
We've got more inspiring chats from that event over the next few weeks, so make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to get in touch with us in the meantime, you can do so via the social media accounts in the show notes. Thanks for listening and see you next time on The Circular Economy Show. Thank you.